Welcome to episode 345 of We Don't Die Radio. I'm your host, Sandra Champlain, author of the international best-selling book called We Don't Die, A Skeptic's Discovery of Life After Death. Before we get started, you may or may not have heard that our friends at IAMS, which is the International Association for Near-Death Studies, will be having an online conference August 14th through 16th, 2020, with over 60 presenters and panelists, including myself and our guest today. Also, we'll be there will be the New York Times bestselling author of Dying to Be Me, Anita Morjani. And it's a, it's a conference about the afterlife, not just near-death experiences, but touching on grief and um, so many different afterlife things and living life. It's a low price and you get all the videos on demand after the event. If you can't join one of the sessions live, you can find out more at iands.org, which is I-A-N-D-S.org. So onto the show. Our guest today is Shauna Ristick. At the age of 19, after a near-death experience and three-week coma, Shauna began her quest to become a healer and to understand and find here the home she had experienced on the other side. This led her through massage school, academia, and a journey from her birthplace in the Midwest to the Mediterranean and finally to California. Currently, Shauna is a massage therapist. In fact, she's voted best in Santa Cruz in 2020. She mixes hands-on healing work with her psychic abilities and what she calls intuitive healing. Whether you see her in person or socially distanced right now, she does phone and Skype and Zoom um, meetings with people. She uses her vibrational awareness to clear blockages and energy disconnect. She offers spiritual guidance and facilitates communication between people, their spirit guides, or their loved ones who are near death or deceased. She also offers retreats and workshops nationwide. You can find out more about her at shaunaristic.com. Shauna, a warm welcome to We Don't Die Radio. Good morning. Thank you, Sandra. You're welcome. You're welcome. We are recording this July 24th, 2020. And I always think of our listeners listening somewhere in the future. But um, yeah, we are recording this in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, but we are making lemonade out of lemons. So on to you, Shauna. Tell us a little bit about you and how your story began. And it sounds beautiful where you live, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um well, I'm a, a body worker and an intuitive healer here in Santa Cruz, California, and I also have an office uh, in Los Gatos, California, which is over in Silicon Valley. Um, and my my path as a healer, you know, I call it my path as a healer began when I was 19. Uh, as you mentioned, I had a near death experience. I I was, um, you know, I was actually not on the best path at the time. I was working in bars and sort of trying to figure life out. I was 19 and, you know, not really sure where I was going and I was modeling. And, um, and then, uh, I was on my way to the airport to meet a friend to fly to a football game in Minnesota, the chiefs game. I was, I was in the Kansas city area and I'd never been to a football game. And, um, 
so it was Christmas morning. And we woke up and we did our Christmas thing at my family's. And then my family left to go to my extended family's house. And I took a nap. And as I woke up from the nap, I realized, oh, no, I'm running late. And I, I rushed out of the house and I threw all my things in the car. And and the last thing I remember is looking as I got onto the highway that I was going 75. And um, I needed to call my friend and tell him I was on my way. And I I bent over, I took off my seatbelt and I bent over to pick up my car phone, which was back in the, the early 90s where car phones were those big bags that you plugged into cigarette lighters. Right. <laughs> and it was in the, the passenger floorboard. Uh, so I pinned over to pick it up. And as I came up, I came close to hitting a car that I was passing and I'd just gone over a bridge. And so I swerved to miss and my car flipped end over end across the median then across the other lane of traffic, two lanes of traffic, and they found me uh, face down about 40 feet from the car turning blue. Um, I don't remember any of that, but the car behind me was a nurse and the next car from the other direction was a nurse. So there were two nurses immediately on on scene. I kind of like to think that the angels were really watching after yes. me that day. Um and they stabilized me as best they could. And then I was, they drove me to an, uh, a hospital nearby. And um, I was told that had they had to go the extra 20 miles to the next hospital that was more adapted for my, my injuries, um, I probably wouldn't have made it. But there happened to be a doctor who was there twice a month at the, the closer hospital. And she happened to be there that day. So they, the, a trauma doc. So they took me there and they flew me life flight by helicopter to research medical center in Kansas city. And I spent three to four weeks in a coma there. Um, you know, and, and the prognosis wasn't good. They said I would always need assistance. I would be mentally handicapped. I'd probably never live on my own again. And I'd, I'd never, um, go back to school or anything like that. And then, uh, I started coming out of the coma at about four weeks and they transferred me to a neurological hospital and they said four to six months to rehab and not to expect great things. And, you know, I did it in four weeks and I moved out back on my own in that was in February. I moved out on my own by that summer and um, was back in school by that fall. Wow. And yeah, you know, and for a long time, the, I, I, there were other things. So I'll go into what happened for me during that. So that's where my body, what happened to my body. And there was a lot of damage done to my body. Um, you know, punctured lungs and cracked ribs and cracked pelvis and head injuries and, and many other things I probably forgot. Um, and for when I first started coming out of the coma, I started talking about some of the things I experienced on the other side and, was met with that's just your healing brain or that's just what the meds were doing or, you know, some sort of rationalization that it was not real what I had experienced. So I just kind of hold up around it and didn't talk about it. And so for years, the only thing I really talked about was what I just shared with you, sort of the physical miraculous healing that seemed to be the only thing people could, could really take in and receive. But what I really experienced, what I experienced on the other side was, so I remember opening my eyes and being in this bright, bright, white lit room and standing on either side of me were three beings. They look human-like, but they were very tall and very bright. 
white light, like light coming from them. And they slid their hand underneath my back and helped me sit up. But I realized I was lifting up out of my body and then standing in the room with them. And, you know, it felt like this was family, but like, like real family, like family without all the, the conditions that we often place on each other in, in our, our earth families. Um, and they showed me, you know, I, they showed me what I had come to do and what I'd done this far and what might be possible for here on out. And I felt like the whole contemplation was, was I coming back? And I didn't really want to. I really liked it there. They were really great. It felt really, you know, the, the love vibration that I felt there, the, the acceptance, the warmth, the lightness, um, and, you know, just the general, everything's okay. Uh, it was really, really great. And, but they showed me what would happen if I didn't come back, you know, how it might affect my family, especially my brother, whether he would marry or not, or how his whole relationship with women would change. And, and they showed me that it's kind of like looking out of an airplane at night uh, at all the lights over a city and, if you imagine one light going out that it could create a power surge in all the lights around it. And that that's sort of what happens when each one of our lights goes out, you know, each of us is one of those lights and that that was what would happen if I left. And then I remember, you know, a lot of it was my time on the other side was spent sort of contemplating or not, or, trying to understand if what I was experiencing there and matching it up what with going on what was going on on the earth side or the the reality side so to speak and um, I remember looking from the top corner of my hospital room down at my body in the bed and my mom sitting there next to the side of the bed with my hand and her hands clasped like she was sort of bent over praying and thinking, wow, you know, what have I done? This is a, what have I done? You know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the next memory I really have as far as, well, as far as on the other side is I, I remember being in a circle that, of these beings and there were 12 of them and they were debating whether I should go or stay. And that's the memory that I really held the most closely when I first came back. Um, and I, for a long time, thought that that they chose and that I didn't. But over the time, I've come to realize that it was a joint decision, and I have to take responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, um, so I began to come out of the coma. And one of the few, or one of the memories I have of again, like trying to rectify what's going on on this side and what I'm experiencing on that side. One thing, um, as I was coming out, I remember lying in my hospital bed and my eyes opened, you know, and, and I'm kind of looking around and my friend is there. So, so the, the circumstances in the hospital, I was in, in ICU. So only one, or I think maybe two people could come in at a time to stay with me and, you know, only like three times a day. So basically, uh, one of my closest friends and, uh, my family stayed in the waiting room and just kind of camped out there for the three weeks. 
waiting for those moments to come in and see me. And this was one of those moments where my friend was sitting there and I remember looking at him and willing him to open his eyes, just open your eyes. I'm awake. And, and he did. And he looked at me, Shauna, you're awake. And I, you know, I, I broke my, my mandible, my chin off. So I have metal plates in my face. And so I couldn't speak very well, but I, I managed to mumble what, what, something he understood to be what happened. And so he began telling me his perspective of what happened, but I, um, I didn't hear what he said. I don't remember what he said, but what I do remember is noticing that that love vibration, that all encompassing pregnant possibility of the space that holds us all, that, that love vibration, that, that that exists on this side too. I remember feeling it in the room and then I could expand my feeling to the whole hospital and just, wow, it's here too. And I remember looking at him and seeing light shining out of his eyes and thinking, realizing, yeah, and each of us is one of those light beings as well, that light within us, that love space and that accepting space and those accepting beings that I knew from the other side that I'd been spending so much time with, they, that was here too. <clears throat> and, and then I couldn't hold it any longer, you know, staying awake and staying in body is, is challenging work, you know, so bravo for everyone who, who does it every day. <clears throat> and so I fell back and back and back and back and back into the coma and then you know, maybe a week or so later, I started coming out. And one thing I knew when I came out and started to become really truly conscious was that I came here to help people heal and find their way home. And as I said, I started talking about my experience with people, but was met with rational uh, explanations and and sort of hold up around it and just realize it couldn't be received. And I didn't want to forget it. And I didn't want to doubt it. And so, and I didn't want to, I didn't go out and seek other people who had those experiences. This was, you know, Christmas day of 93 in Kansas. So there wasn't a lot of people around me who uh, were very spiritual or had a lot of maybe uh, experiences like this. And so I didn't seek other people out for years to understand what I had gone through. And I didn't know that there was Raymond Moody and the whole International Association of Near-Death Studies and, mm -hmm. and all of that I didn't know about. Um, because I didn't want to, and I didn't want to go look for books about other people. I mean, I ran across a couple books, but they they were always experiences that weren't like mine. They were maybe usually very more religious oriented or something along those lines. And that just didn't match what my experience was. And I didn't want to superimpose someone else's experience on mine. So I kind of hold up around it for about 20 years. But during that time, I, again, as I said, knew I was here to help people heal and find their way home. And so I started looking for where is that home? How do I find it? Because I know it's here. How do I find it? And I began uh, that that search took me first into I went back to school 
And I started, I was going to study nursing. And then after about a semester of that, I realized, you know, that's just not it. That's, that's not quite the right thing. And then I was going to go into psychology and then that didn't quite feel right either. Uh, it just didn't hold the wholeness of what I was looking for. And, and then I found, uh, after, after finishing my associates through a bunch of serendipitous events and a massage therapist I met, um, I found my way to massage school and thought as soon as I walked in, I, I knew, I said, this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And so I finished massage school in a, a year and a half, two years, and then transferred uh, to Kansas University in Lawrence, Kansas, and went to college and ended up with a, getting a degree in French because something I loved. And I just realized I'd always be a healer, but I wanted the degree mostly to prove doctors wrong. <laughs> right. Right. And, um, so after, after finishing my school, uh, or the last semester of my schooling, I decided if I had a degree in French, I better be fluent in it. So I moved to France and I lived there for four years and finished my bachelor's. And then I did a master's in communication, you know, and I feel like I was always searching for that place, that acceptance and that love space that I hadn't found in Kansas and thought maybe it was somewhere else. And I went as far as to France and, you know, while I loved it there, um, you know, it wasn't there either. And when I came back to Kansas after four years in France and, you know, that whole journey, you know, I had a healing profession there for a while and, you know, but when I came back to Kansas and started my practice again and just decided to devote myself to to that and to helping people heal, um, I realized that home is really inside. I mean, there's that whole saying, home is where the heart is. But I realized that it's more about a perspective, that it's it's here, that vibration's here, but it's our illusion that keeps us separate from it. And that it only takes a shift of perception in order to really tap into that and feel that. Um, and so, you know, I started my practice again as a healer and uh, little by little, I never hung a shingle about the intuitive stuff. I didn't feel like people could, they kind of glaze over when you talk about the woo-woo stuff. Right. They can't quite receive that. So I just started doing it and it would sometimes it would kind of happen spontaneously. Sometimes things, information would just come in or I just know stuff and little by little, um, that's what people came for <laughs> and, and more than the physical work, the physical work was great. And a lot of people only came for that, but more and more it came for just the, the intuitive work. Um, oh, you know, and something that I, a very important part that I did forget to mention is that after the coma. And after I came out, so about three years later, I was living on my own and I'd, I had this great job. I was working as a manager of this fine dining restaurant on the plaza in Kansas City and had a good boyfriend. So, so you know, after the coma, a lot of my search was also, you know, how do I fit into this place? Like I apparently wasn't doing it right before, you know, it's kind of on a bad path and I kind of got kicked my butt, my butt kicked back online. Mm -hmm. So how do I how do I do this thing? And, you know, what I concluded was you need a car, you need a good job, you need to live on your own and you need a good, you need, you need a partner. And so that's what I had, but I was miserable and I couldn't get it. And, you know, so after a while I started really going within and looking at myself and looking at all that I was and what had made me become who I am and, you know, analyzing everything. And I started journaling 
kind of an automatic writing thing and just journaling all my thoughts and journaling and journaling and journaling and journaling. And after a while, I, I kind of realized I would go into a sort of trance. And when I would reread my journaling, I would see that something had started answering. And so that's how I began my communication with the council that I come, these light beings on this side. And for 20 years, that's what I did. I would journal, especially in the evenings, you know, just asking questions, asking for assistance. And they became my biggest guides, my biggest helpers. And it's really thanks to them that a lot of the work I did in my practice uh, happened. They would give me information, um, you know, and it's, it's it happens intuitively. It happens like a, a I guess you call that claircognizance or sort of just an intuitive knowing things. Mm-hmm. Um sort of telepathically. So, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell, is this me? Is this them? It's all sort of the one thing sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so after, you know, I really felt that what I had done was to, what I had come back for was to really try to help people, you know, as much as possible. And after a while I thought, well, I guess this is it. I'm in Kansas. I have, I help people one-on-one in this little office and that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and I met my husband and I had a child and, And then in 2015, Spirit had other ideas. And through a bunch of bunch of serendipitous events, I ended up in California uh, to be part of a project uh, around the near-death experience, trying to sort of create a movement to bring that more to the mainstream here in Santa Cruz uh, as, as sort of the locale to make that happen. And you know, spirit's pretty tricky sometimes. <laughs> uh, so we moved here to be a part of that project. And then after about six months, uh, which included us offering symposiums, and uh, we had Paul Perry as our, our one of our MCs, and uh, we had several people. I think Ania Morjani even was al- in, aligned to come later at some of the symposiums that we were going to offer. We were planning to offer one every quarter. And we, my husband, who was a philosophy professor, he began teaching a class with Raymond Moody at the University of uh, Santa Cruz, UCSC, University of California, Santa Cruz. And so we had this whole project going. And then about six months in, our funding and our idea guy just changed his mind. And the whole bottom fell out. And and here we were in Santa Cruz with no plan. <laughs> but, you know, it all worked out just fine. And I can say now five years later, it's been a really in- incredible experience. Um, you know, now I'm working in Los Gatos with an office and I have an office in Santa Cruz. And, you know, it's opened a whole window of interesting interactions with people through just my my networking and my my introduction through ions and all the people that I've met in the near death movement it's it's really opened up a huge avenue of growth for me and for really offering my gifts to the world in in coming here so I'm super grateful for it even though it was quite a challenge to to begin with but that is what often happens we get on our own spiritual growth after something devastating happens whether it's a loss to us or somebody else uh, close to us and it gets it puts us on this path and I think we're all just so unique and we have different ways that we share and what I hear so often with people that have had uh, near-death experiences is how they make their life about being 
in service. And it sounds like you're one of those people. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. You know, it's hard for me to tell the story and hard for me to talk about it. I mean, at first it was hard because I didn't have words for it because mm-hmm. I just hadn't talked about it. And, you know, now that I've given a few presentations with IANS and stuff, I've had a little more experience with telling the story, uh, my story. But it's so sometimes I, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because I know that it inspires people and it helps people. But it's not about me. It's about others. Amen, sister. I know just that feeling you're talking about. I I want to ask you, with the Council of Twelve here um, and your communications over the 20 years, could you give us an idea a little bit about the bigger picture or what uh, maybe some of the teachings that they've given you? I love how you saw the light coming out of that gentleman's eyes and that feeling of home is here. And life can be really difficult. So I know you've asked them tough questions, but could you share any of their wisdom? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of their, a lot of their advice was, was um, just helping me to understand that this is all part of the process and that, you know, we're all growing each day and, you know, we're on a journey here, all of us. And so it's about that, that opening, but, you know, one thing that they they led me to this experience, and I'll just share this experience because it really helped me to move even more deeply into understanding what they were trying to teach me about how to work with the energies here. Because as they said, you know, it's the idea that it's it's an illusion here. We all hear that in spiritual circles, but, you know, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. But we've also, many of us, have had experiences that really open us to a deeper sense of understanding or knowing or uh, spiritually transformative experiences, or they're calling it now, I often call them merge of consciousness experiences. And, you know, there's, you know, or even someone who's had depression, I mean, there's not a lot of difference between a depressive day and a, and a regular day. I mean, except for how it feels, except for the perspective, you know, we can have a blissful experience or we can have an everyday experience and it's really just our perspective that changes. And so that's what I've learned to understand that. And that the biggest challenge for me and for others, and and I think that this is the biggest thing for people to understand is that it's really good to trust what you're getting. And the way to, to know that whether what you're getting is truth or untruth is through expansion or contraction. If it expands you and makes you feel lighter or brighter or more open or more loving, then follow that. And if it contracts you and makes you feel like a dissonance or more contracted or darker or heavier, then maybe that's not the way. And that has been the one key that they really gave me. Um, and, and to share, you know, that that experience where about trusting yourself and really checking in with your body about what you're getting and really listening. Um, the experience I had about that was that there was a man who called me and his mother was about to pass away. She had been in a assisted living home. She she was not comatose, but she was pretty close. She wasn't very communicative. She was awake, but 
you know, could barely feed herself and could barely function or get up and move around, um, had lost a lot of her cognitive abilities. And he wanted, he was very sad and he and his father loved this woman very much, but they were in a position where they financially couldn't afford to keep her in this home anymore. And they were really distraught about transferring her anywhere else and what that would mean. And they wanted to know what, what was she hanging on for? And, you know, when I first got that call, I thought, boy, I don't know, I've never done anything like this to come and talk to someone like that. But they, you know, the council reassured me that, you know, this would be okay and I could do this. And it was really about, again, that trusting what I'm giving, getting. And they, they explained that it's like falling backwards or, you know, most of us spend our time sort of in the forehead, like in that pushing forward that frontal lobe sort of thinking phase and that spinning mind is what keeps us in this illusion but when we can sort of fall back and bring your awareness to sort of the back of the head behind the ears and allowing us to move backwards a little bit more in that more receptive mode then you get the information you need and and you can trust it by the idea that if it expands you or there's that sense of knowingness or that sort of sense of warmth to it, then you're on. And it was so helpful to just have that explanation about it. And when I went there uh, to meet this woman and her family, the, the son and the husband, and she was, I could hear her. I could hear her speaking. I had connected in with her before coming. So one thing I do to connect in with people, everything is vibrational. Everything is frequency. Sound is a frequency and light is a frequency. And, and so is sort of the sixth sense or that felt sense. And the felt sense is what I work with mostly. And a name has a frequency to it. You know, it has a sound frequency to it. And, and it, and that frequency is something that each person has identified with in their entire lifetime. And so you can use that frequency to tap into the person themselves, which is what I do. And so I tapped into her, connected with her before coming, and I thought, gosh, she's hardly even in body. She's just out vagabonding around, just going here, going there. Mm-hmm. So when I got there... I was I was I was surprised at, that she was still awake as much as she was. I was expecting her to be a little bit more dormant or uh, comatose or whatever. And and I could hear her. I could hear her very well. And I understood that she was stay, holding on to her body because she believed that was the only way to stay connected with her family. And that if she were to leave body, that she would be disconnected from them. And I shared this with them and we had this beautiful reunion and she, oh, it was amazing. She woke up. She like, her eyes lit up and she was, ah, you know, ecstatic that I could hear and that someone was communicating for her. And then I tried to approach the idea of, you know, I understood what was holding her here, but approach the idea that, you know, um, maybe she could transition and she got really upset and thought I was trying to kill her and she closed down and she shut down and I couldn't hear her anymore. And so I was really felt bad. And I, you know, I apologized to the family and then I left and then they called me back like a couple months later and she was mad. So when I saw her, she remembered me, she was mad, she was closed. And I was like, listen, 
I asked the family to leave and they were recording it. So I knew they could hear what I was saying, but I just needed the space with her. And I said, listen, your family invited me here. They, they love you and they need to know how to help you transition because they're afraid they can't keep you where you're at. And I explained to her that she could keep connection with them and that I would assist her when she's on the other side. And, and, um, the family came back in and we again had, she opened and we had this beautiful reunion and I could speak her words for her to the family and had this amazing experience. And then I left and maybe two months later, I got a call from her son that she, she transitioned. Um, and I kind of knew I felt her. And then the funny thing is, is that a, a month or two later, she came into my mind and she just wouldn't leave. She was just hanging out and hanging out and hanging out and I kept thinking, okay, I'm going to sit and meditate and see what you need. But I have a habit of keeping myself really busy and, mm-hmm. and really doing a lot. So I could never find the time to just sit and be present with it. So I finally just one day, I just said, okay, we're just going to call your son. And I called him and it turns out she was getting ready to transition to a different phase in the afterlife and wanted him to... He, he would be the one that could still maintain the connection with her. He was the one most open to, to those kind of things. And she wanted him to take trainings in it. And this, um, I unfortunately didn't have a training to offer him at that point besides, uh, apprenticeship, which he wanted a more concrete training, but it did spark the, the idea for my training. And, and thanks to this whole experience, I developed a whole workshop series on, on helping people connect in with themselves. Again, like I said, it's not about me. It's about, it's about others. And I want them to be able to connect with their loved ones. And I want them to be able to experience this felt sense and this sense of knowing and this sense of trust. And that's how you get to that love space and to your own guides is when you can feel those things. Is there, I I know that you've got a whole course in this, but not mm-hmm. everyone's going to be able to attend it. Sure, um, sure. Do, could you give us any pointers? Because I know there's many people that I've know that whether their loved one hasn't come through a medium or they don't feel them present. And mm-hmm. um, what would you tell those folks? How could we start building that bridge? Mm-hmm. Well, it's mostly our doubt that stands in the way and our grief. Um I see grief. I mean, it's, it's totally understandable, uh, but sometimes it creates a barrier where, for instance, it's so common for people to feel their loved one around, especially, you know, if it hasn't been that long since they passed, but then what that does is it, they may feel them and they'll feel this overwhelming love and this presence, but then they, feel afraid or oh, no, I'm sorry, not afraid, but that sorry, I got a little bit distracted. They feel this loving presence of this person. And then their mind jumps in and says, but they're not here, but they're gone. And then they automatically go into the loss and the separation and focusing on the separation and the lack rather than staying with that. Oh, the thought of them just came into my mind and I feel their presence. What if I sat down And just sat with that, not in the sense of what do you want? What are they, you know, but that forward head sort of Mm -hmm. frontal lobe, but in that sort of just being with that presence, 
what that with the suggestion with the idea that maybe it is them that they want to communicate with you and what would they want to say um for me something that has really worked well is writing and just allowing myself to journal whatever comes to mind with that for some people it's it's just more of a meditative sort of just sitting in with that presence um there's also for some reason mirrors are really great you know you we many of us have had those experiences where we catch something out of the corner of our eye and then we look and it's not there those are all sort of indications that that there's a presence with you and when you feel that rather than moving into lack or the fact that they're not here or to the concrete reality of it instead sitting with the idea that this may be them energetically reaching out that can just that shift of awareness and that lack of doubting it can really help is that, is that it does and i love how you say bring the awareness to the back of your mind because i know that it's just being human we're always thinking about the future or in the past or, you know, all these repetitive things. So I love that back of the mind. And I also was just thinking about journaling when we can get out of our mind, our thoughts that are right there, you know, it allows other things to come through. And whereas your counsel is coming through, you know, I, I've written some things that I think, Holy smokes, where did that come from? Right? Exactly. 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 Yeah. You know, and, the council has been great for me, but I feel that every one of us has, you know, I think I heard the term soul group used and I really like that. I think that's a really great way to, to explain that each of us has this assistance. You know, um, there was, there was a, a series of, or a, a period of time after, as I was probably the next seven years after the coma, as I was sort of trying to reintegrate into life, um, cause you know, when you wake up from a coma, it's not like you just, not like the movies where you just wake up and you're like, I'm back. No, you know, it takes a really long time to get back in body and, and it's a real challenge. And there were also these moments I, I had these sort of call them merge of consciousness or these blast open experiences, uh, where suddenly just the light would shine on me and I would just know, and I would just be blasted open with this sort of awareness of something greater, something bigger and a download of information. And, and one day that happened and like, it's, it suddenly occurred to me that, that each of us were kind of like, like if you imagine we each lived in another planet or another some space, you know, and that each of us were like aliens who came here and agreed to take on these human bodies in order to get along. And, you know, what's a soul anyway. Right. And, and, that was just such an interesting experience for days. I walked around, this was when I was in college and I walked around campus just sort of seeing like the essence of people and going, wow, this is interesting. Like what would they look like if they, they were in their true form and some were light and some were a little bit more, you know, lizard like, and some of them, it was just a fascinating experience to be able to walk around and see that. Um, And then there were other merge of consciousness experiences where I'd be blasted open and just, knew that everything happens for a reason and everything's in alignment. Um, and, and that each person in our lives comes there for a reason and that we are co-creators. We put our energy out into, we could call it the matrix. And then the soup or the matrix, you know, has its own 
sort of mind, we can call that God even, that comes down and helps us and connects those alignments so that people arrive to us that need to help us. And it's a, it's a co-creation with God or the oneness or the all that is, whatever you want to call that thing. And, and I could see that, you know, it's, it's that sort of idea that each of us has sort of our soul group. We, we, it's a brave soul to come here and, and we have a lot of assistance in it comes here for whatever reason they came with all of this assistance and this guidance let's call it your your alien buddies so to speak to give it sort of a metaphor an alien buddies on the other side helping you here that you can connect in with and for me it helps to think of it like the alien thing because it makes it a little bit more i don't know concrete or something Mm -hmm. and then using you know so we each have our soul group or our guides or whatever you want to call those that we connect in with and we're co-creating with them. The idea that we're victims or we're just here as, um, I guess, victims of chance or, you know, things just fall upon us, I don't think think is correct. It's, it's a co-creation here. We're a part of it. And so the, that's part of the illusion is that we're not part of it and that we're separate. And if we can step into the unity and the oneness and realize that we're not separate and realize that we are part of the creation here. It's so much more empowering and it's so much more true. I like it. I do. I, I know things happen sometimes, but just to get me back in the driver's seat of life, it's like, right. if I were to create that to learn something, why would I do that? You know, and it just takes me out of the, the victim mind. I want to ask you too, Shauna, when you say you facilitate communication between people and their spirit guides and deceased. Can you talk a little bit about that? So that's a little bit like what I was sharing with that story about uh-huh. the family I worked with. Um, so I, I connected with people through their uh, using the name as a guide to connect into their frequency, their energy. Like if I'm doing something at distance, then I would connect into their energy. And then um, one thing I can do is to see their body and kind of look at where there's contractions and things that may be inhibiting them in their, in their growth or in their, their function. Um, but then I can, if you take a little step further back and look around the person, you can see which guides are there to help them and who is, um, who is there assisting them. And so then I can connect in with those guides and sort of help give them a voice, uh, to the person. Um, it's a little bit challenging because, you know, many, much of that information comes non-verbally, just sort of knowingly or telepathically. And so it's, I, I always appreciate feedback from the person if it resonates or not, just because it helps me to sort of be able to understand more clearly the images that I'm getting when I share that with them. And then that my goal is always to help other people be able to do it as well. So again, there's that the idea of falling back. There's the idea of trusting yourself. And what other tips can I give? I love how you say falling back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, I think that, I mean, it's, this is part of the doubting thing, but, you know, I grew up the, the daughter of an engineer and an IT person. So mm. I'm a perfect skeptic and a doubter. And you know, my biggest challenge, and I think this is true for all of us, you know, so most of us have been taught that the way to keep ourselves safe is to think, to overthink, 
to right. it's through the mind that that's the way to keep ourselves sync. Why didn't you think about what you're doing? What were you doing? You know, all of that. Um, and what we do, so we go through our, our, we go through education, we go through academia, and we create this well-developed mind, which is super important here, no doubt about it. But what it also does is the mind then creates a sort of box that we have a hard time getting out of. And for me, that's been the biggest challenge. Um, here's another little story to illustrate what I'm talking about. So, you know, I grew up also seeing a lot of things as a kid. Uh, and I didn't know that everybody else wasn't seeing these things, light beings, uh, disincarnate spirits, uh, you know, some disincarnate spirit behind my school that I later saw in my house um, and in a very old sort of haunted house, lots of things happening in it. And when I tried to talk to my parents about it, they said, oh, you know, it's just the overactive imagination of a child, which meant that either I was crazy mm -hmm. or I wasn't safe or something was happening because I, and I was wrong. And so I really worked hard to shut that down um, because I was afraid. And I feel like that fear is the kept a lot of us from really speaking up, even the fear of ridicule. Right. Definitely. Um, but the story I was going to, the story I was going to share was that. So flash forward from that childhood into and, and after the whole NDE, which kind of blasted me back open, like spirits way of saying, you can't shut it down anymore. And uh, I was this, I was already married with my child and everybody was in bed one night and I was watching YouTube videos and someone had the idea about having office hours when you're working with energies because I was having trouble sleeping and I was realizing that it was because energies were coming at night and they were waking me up. And I was like, ooh, office hours, that's a great idea. So I was sitting at the table. I'm like, well, if I'm going to have closed hours, I better have open hours. And so I was just sort of amusing myself with just allowing energies to come in and speak to me at the table. And, you know, maybe it was just my imagination. Maybe it wasn't. But, yes, it was imagination because that's our biggest tool. That's our biggest communication tool with the other side. And you use that expansion versus contraction to know where you're at with it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm communicating with these different entities and helping them trans transition to wherever they need to go into the light. And then I'm like, okay, we're closed. And and I, I go upstairs and I take my shower. And as I'm in the shower, I feel this energy step in. And I felt it physically, you know, and I'd been kind of playing with it downstairs, you know, sort of, is it real or not or whatever, but I felt this like in my face, like breathing down my throat and, and it, it really created a lot of fear in me. And I, I flashed into memories of as a kid feeling these things. And what I would normally do as a kid would be hurry up and get out of the shower, run really fast into the bedroom, jump over the bed. So it's nothing could grab me under the bed and <laughs> take my covers up to my chin. Right. 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 And, and I felt my urge to do that. And then I was like, wait a minute, we're doing it differently now. We're doing it differently. And so I just stood there and I faced this thing and I was like, you know, and, and of course I couldn't visually see it, but I could feel it. And I said, you know, who are you? And, and it showed me some big scary thing and I could see it, you know, intuitively in my mind's eye. And it was a little scary. And I was like, okay, who were you before you were that? And I took it back before you were that and before you were that because my goal was to try to get it to go back to the light and back. And it kept showing me these, you know, sort of different lifetimes of Genghis Khan sort of cruelty. And 
then it got back to, I saw light and I said, go back to where you came from. And at that moment it left. And as it left, I kid you not, the shower curtain flipped. Like, like if a cat had its tail in the curtain Mm -hmm. and flipped its tail as it walked out. And I was like, wow. (laughs) And as soon as I saw the shower curtain flip, my mind went, I didn't see that happen. That didn't really happen. But I caught it and I said, yes, it did. And that's what I've been doing for years is you see something or you experience something and you say, oh, that didn't really happen. Or, oh, I can't talk about that because people are going to think I'm crazy and they're going to lock me up. Or So you just convince yourself that it didn't really happen, but it did. So that's just to illustrate the point that a lot of it is really about trusting what you're getting and stopping self-editing. Right. Yeah, it does. With our time left, I just know you talk about hands-on healing. And I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about your healing side of what it is you do. Mm -hmm. So my training was in body work and massage. And for the first decade of my work, I really um, sort of pushed against this intuitive part. I would get information you know, insights while I'm hands on doing massage with people, because with your hands on a body, bodies hold a lot of memories and bodies hold a lot of energy and information. So sometimes with hands on, it's a little bit easier. Sometimes it's different. But um, but at that point in the beginning, it was a lot easier and information would come. And I usually argued with it. I'm not going to tell them that I'm not going to say that. And and then it would have to, it would be so insistent that it would come out. Um but I, I, I pushed against it and most of my emphasis was on structure and anatomy and physicality and fixing problems. I did a lot of um, collaboration with rolfers and chiropractors for like 10 years. And so my, my eye is really attuned to more structure and physical alignment and rebalancing the structure. So that's a lot of what I do still hands-on wise. And then in addition to that, when people are open to the intuitive work, as my hands are on them, information still comes and I don't argue with it anymore. I just share what's coming up because I believe in my work over the last 20 years with body work and things has shown me that things start on an energetic level. Like you have an experience and it gets undigested and it's stuck in the field and then it starts to manifest itself physically but once it's manifested itself physically it's been there for a while and often it has an energetic or emotional sort of root to it an undigested experience and so by to truly heal the body then you can do a lot of physical stuff and sometimes it is just physical but most of the time there's this other part that needs to be integrated back into the person's psyche and sense of self and all those parts they've walled off in order for the healing to really happen. So that's a lot of what I do physically now with people. And then with this move to California, uh, a lot of my clients are still in Kansas. So that meant that I needed to work at distance with them. And now socially distancing mm-hmm. is kind of the thing. Um, And then with this family that I spoke about, uh, it really pushed me to start developing how to do this at a distance. And so distance work is is effective. It's not the same as hands on because hands on I can you know, my hands just have a way of doing their own thing. They just know where to go. 
and they can unwind the tissue depending on what layer we're working on. I mean, I'm trained to work with the nervous system and neural mobilization, and I work with the fascia and with the muscles, and sometimes it's the lymphatic system. So, you know, whatever level of the body in the tissue needs to work on, the hands can figure out. When I can't be physically with the person, um, or if they're mostly wanting more intuitive work, then I, as I said before, am able to just connect in energetically with them and look at where the blockages are and help to move the energy that way. Can you give us an example just of like what somebody might have blocked that's, um, do you know what I'm getting at? Uh-huh. Um, so I had this client. It. Is it? So I had this client mm-hmm. and um, she came in. She was the wife of my one of my advertising reps. Uh, my, my yellow pages advertising rep and he had bought her a gift certificate with me and she came and, um, you know, my, my, I wasn't, my mind was like, Oh, look, you know, she looks like she's just going to be a really easy case. You know, she, she sort of had, um, a dolled up sort of sorority girl look about her. Mm -hmm. And I just assumed it was going to be kind of a butter the bread, you know, sort of massage (laughs) and be done and, you know, um, a fluff and fold. And I'm getting into the session and this voice keeps saying, ask her about Jason, ask her about Jason. And I'm like, I'm not going to ask her about Jason. This was early on before when I was still arguing about things. I'm not going to ask her about Jason. And finally I was like, okay, you know, someone named Jason and, so little by little, we started talking and, and this was coming up mostly when I was working in her arms, for instance, and, um, and in, in her, then as I turned her over and I was working towards her low back, she had a low back tattoo. And this is when the information started really coming in about this around the tattoo, ask her about Jason, ask her about Jason. And I finally asked her and lo and behold, the tattoo was there because she had had a a brother who was almost a twin, just, you know, like nine months apart. And he had died when she was in her early twenties and she was in her mid to late twenties at this point. So he had died, you know, I think seven or eight years earlier, maybe even more than that, 10 years or so, because she was married now and the husband hadn't known the brother. Um, And anyways, a brother had died and she was living this life now where she was really disconnected from him from the brother, um, you know, married to a man who hadn't known him and living a life very separate and pulled away, but she had sort of this loss in her heart about losing the brother. And turns out that Jason is not the name of the brother, but the name of her husband's nephew that would have been the same age as her brother and reminded her very, very much so of her brother. That's how the whole story about the brother came up. And, um, so we had this whole healing session where we helped her to start communicate because what was happening was the brother was wanting to communicate with her, but she had created this whole life that shut him out and to try to, as many of us do with grieving, push it away and just move on. And he was wanting to communicate with her. So I reestablished communication with them, um, in the session. And that was a surprise to me at that point. That was, you know, early on in my, my, uh, my work. So that's one example. Um, Another example would be a woman I was working with who was a professor. And she had been really struggling with work situation, was really 
having challenges at work, um, just feeling not appreciated or not respected or something was going on with work. And she was probably in her sixties, an African-American woman. And um, as I was working with her, information started coming about some sort of blockage that had happened in her childhood that was really affecting this work situation. And so we did a, there's a process I, I do called inner counselor process to help go, go back through the layers back to the time period where maybe the thought or the original experience happened. And we went back and, you know, she hadn't really known racism when she was a child. She grew up with a family that just didn't emphasize that and hadn't really experienced it growing up until she was in college. And there was one experience she had where she went to rent an apartment and then it became really evident that she didn't get the apartment because of her skin color. And that was such a shock to her. And she sort of put into place from that point on this awareness that she would be judged unjustly. And that was playing out in her relationship with her colleagues to that day. And we did this beautiful healing with it uh, as part of the process where you bring, which may help your your listeners, where you bring um, that experience out of the body and you allow it to take a form. And then you allow that form to speak to the person and we communicate with it. And then we help that form bring in a new form that would represent something that that child self or that college girl self of hers really needed. We would bring in the new form that could maybe help her get it a little bit better than this old form in her case was saying, everybody's out to get me and everybody's going to judge me unjustly. And so we brought in this new form. And I think with her, the new form, yes, this was her, was a, was a rose. And so she, she integrated this new form. We had the old form merge into the new one to give its, because it's done a lot of work. I mean, the old coping mechanism or the old form, which represents the coping mechanism, it did a lot of, a lot of good job for her up to this point. You know, I mean, we put those coping mechanisms in for a reason because they serve us. Right. And, right. but you know, usually by the time we're older, they're not serving us so well anymore. Mm-hmm. Just keeping us more separate. So this new coping mechanism, it merged with it and it was great. And it was this rose. We had this wonderful healing experience. And then I'm like, okay, I tidy up the session, bring her back around into her body. And, um, then I open the door to leave and the room. And as I open the door, I kid you not, there's a rose laying on the floor in front of the door. <laughs> I have no idea how it got there. You know, maybe a colleague had a bu- bunch of roses and accidentally dropped it on the way out. I don't know. I mean, that's, that's my rational explanation for it. But I was like, you know, I think this is for you. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, she really realized she wanted to retire. And she did. And she's been really happy ever since. Oh, that's so great. It's so evident from all the things I've learned and talking to people that there's so many different times in our life when stuff happens. But instead of letting it pass, we take on this belief about ourselves. And it's almost like putting on a a pair of glasses. You're looking through a different color now, but you think that's the real world and it's not. And it's until you can get to those things and take off the glasses that you're not free again. So Shauna, you're really somebody who is out to help people have the best life possible. 
And yeah. I really applaud you for all that you're doing. And thank you. Really. Yeah, truly. You know, and to your point, you know, I, I see that there was a time in my life right after the NDE that all I could see was that light in everybody, that essence, you know, that you talked about that we create filters over or goggles over. Mm-hmm. And I would just stay focused on their light. And then I'd end up in these experiences where I was like, looking back, go, wow, that was really not safe. Um, but it was just part of my training to realize that there are all those filters and you can move through those filters. Um, but we also have to be aware that those filters are going to, they, they impact how people behave in the world. And each of us can let one, let those go and move back to just have the willingness to move back to our essence and to that light that we are inside. Then you can let those filters go. And then you could do things like choose to put a filter on. Yeah, very true. I, I know with all my investigation of myself, there was an incident that happened when I was a kid and I created not good enough. So yeah, that's a common one. Yeah. But on, on the plus side, it gave me my strong suits so of very, being very independent, being very successful. I have done yeah. enormous things that people are like, how'd you do that? You know, but yeah, as great as it is, I can now choose to be that. Or if there are times that somebody else gets picked for something, you know, immediately that little kid in me is like, Oh, it's cause I'm not right. good enough. But it's like, wait a minute. No, no, that's just a filter you put on. So we can, exactly. yeah. So it's those times where we can just let it go and have a little compassion. Shana, we're near nearing the end. I'm wondering if you just have some closing words to empower or inspire, not like you haven't given us enough. Cause you, I've got a whole notebook page filled with some of your words here, but how would you like to leave things for people? Um, I do want to make just one comment sure. about what you said where you had this experience as a child that sort of shaped this worldview that you're not good enough. And from all the work I've done with people, and I, I meet a lot of people who have really suffered in childhood or who have had a lot of trauma in childhood, but I can tell you in every one of those circumstances, I can see that that trauma set them up for their best gifts when they're older. Love it. And I think you're right. And- you know, each of us is so much more powerful than we've been led to believe. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. Oh, I really enjoyed talking to you and listening to you. And for our listener, thank you for spending this hour with Shauna and I. As a reminder, her website is shaunaristic.com. And wherever you're listening to this in the description, there's a link to that. I want to just give you some other links that you may enjoy. All past episodes are, of this show are available at wedontdieradio.com. They're also all on YouTube. I think the last hundred of them are on iTunes and iHeartRadio and so many other places. If you're new to the show, you can also join my Insiders Club. It's a little pop-up when you go to wedontdieradio.com. You'll get a free copy of my book, We Don't Die. It says only a few chapters, but here's the secret. It's the whole thing, as well as a very healing audio called How to Survive Grief. If you'd like a free copy of my audiobook, you can go to the store 
page on that website. And when you see the audiobook, type in coupon code FREE, F-R-E-E. There's also a new calendar that we have. We have created a ton of online courses and demonstrations, even a Sunday service. It's a non-denominational service done in the most inspiring way, including a mediumship demonstration at the end. So great music and great people and great things. So you can join us for that. We also have a We Don't Die listeners Facebook group because there are many of us that can't share these good things with the people immediately in our life and really want you to be able to connect with people that also believe in the reality of not only the afterlife, but the bigger picture and how to live life. In closing, my name is Sandra Champlain. Always so happy to be your host on We Don't Die Radio. I do believe that life is an education for the soul, that your life here on earth is important. And I love some of these things that Shauna said, you are a brave soul. We chose to come here. Imagination is our number one communication tool. So if you think things are just your imagination, oh, they're more than that. And that is just the entry way in to find that feeling of home. You just trust what you're getting and we can actually make the choice to change our perspective. So keep in mind to fall back <laughs> and into that mind and really trust. And thank you from the bottom of our hearts for being here and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.